Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 11 in verse 30. I'm not going to preach much from this text. I want to use this text as as just a starting place, uh, the theme that we'll build everything else on. And uh, yeah, that's that. Proverbs 11 and 30. The fruit of the righteous. How many of you know that we're supposed to be producing fruit? Anything living grows. If something's alive, you don't have to tell it to grow. You don't have to make it grow. You support life, things grow automatically. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, is a tree of life. Now really look at this second part, this last half of this verse. He that winneth souls is wise. He that wins souls is wise. Wise people win souls. Wise people win souls. Pray with me. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word. I know right now more than anyone else how much I need you to do what I do. I'm asking you for the exchange. Help me to yield to you that it would be all you and none of me. Let it be that no one remembers that it was me that brought forth the message, but they cannot forget the message. Father, let it be that people only see you they, they won't even know where it came from, that they'll only know your word and that they will know you, that you would be exalted. Father, use us to lift the name of Jesus and never our name. Use us to put you out front so much that people only remember you and help us to do what this text says. Help us to win souls. We thank you for it. In your name, amen. So that's our, that's our foundation in our theme. I liked the stool so much, and I like how it rocks. I decided to start with it again. So I'll see how long I can sit here. It's kind of a personal challenge, too, if I can take it. We're going to use this as a theme and a foundation. We're supposed to be winning souls. If we don't win souls, what are we doing? If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves a church, and we do not win the lost, if we don't win souls, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we here? If we don't win souls, then we should write Ichabod across the door. The glory has departed, and we should do something else on Sundays. If we don't win souls, 
we should simply, if we're not going to fish for men, we should just go fishing on Sundays. If, uh, if we're not going to win souls, we should sell the building and let it be used for, for something else. This should be the heartbeat of every believer, of every believer. He that wins souls is wise. The counterpart to that is that if we're not winning souls, we're not being very wise. Or we might say it this way, we are not being good stewards of the time we've been given. We've only been given a little while here, and we're supposed to use it for the kingdom. And so if we are not winning people to Jesus, then we are not making wise use of our time. We are not being good caretakers. Of Do you understand God gave you the time you have? God gave you this day. God gave you the breath that is in your lungs. It's not your breath. It's his. So who are you using it for? And what are you using it for? It would be wise to win souls. All right, go with me to John 3.16. Anybody heard of that one? John 3, 16. My goal is not to keep you real long today. My goal is to give you uh, power. This is like a protein bar message. I want to give you a whole bunch in a, in a little bit and, and then baptize these folks for this celebration of their new life. John 3, 16. And I apologize I don't have note sheets for you because my email to myself didn't go through so I couldn't print them. For God so loved. We always do this verse so fast, I think we don't hear what it says anymore. So we just love that we can quote it, right? God, he so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten son. Do you love anything so much you'd give up your child? Do you love anybody so much that you would allow your kid to go through suffering that they could be restored? I don't. I don't. I love Moriah and Deacon a lot more than I love you. Yeah, amen. Come on, somebody. If I need to get there, God take me there. But right now, I don't love you like I love my kids. But God so loved the wonderful people that loved him. No, 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 no. God so loved the world. They didn't even want him. But he loved the world so much, the lost, the ones on their way to destruction. He loved them so much, he gave his only begotten son so that they would automatically all belong to him. He gave up his son that they had the opportunity that many would not take That whosoever, that's a good part, it's for everybody, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but that they would have everlasting life. 
We cannot wrap our mind around the love of God. We cannot wrap our mind around or fully understand this, this system of a substitutionary death, one dying in our place for remission of sin. We can't fully grasp and understand the grossness of our sin. We don't fully appreciate or understand just how wicked sin is and the destruction of sin and what it means to be saved. None of us fully appreciate our salvation. None of us fully appreciate forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are three things that I want to look at on this verse, and then I've got a couple powerful testimonies of great generals of the faith and a few more scriptures that I want to share. So we'll be here for a few minutes. The first thing that I want to pull from John 3.16 is this. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. Somebody say, God loves me. me. You ought to remind yourself of that every day. And don't let anything steal it from you. That no matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done that, God loves you. Now, the fact that God loves you does not mean everything's okay. But things cannot be okay without you understanding that God loves you. (laughs) You, You must know. The Bible says that those that come to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and believe that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. There are, there's a lot of things we need to believe about God, but there are two. First of all, we believe he exists, and we believe that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. All right, number one, God loves you. Know that. Going over these notes and in my prayer time this morning, I actually said to myself in my mind, God, I am going to go in front of these people and say, God loves you. And that's going to carry weight. And like, it seems so kindergarten. It seems so trite. It seems so, God loves you. Well, it's up to God what he wants to anoint and put weight on. And you might simply say to someone, God loves you. And something explodes inside of them. And they say, I never knew that. I never knew that God loves me. God loves you. And let me say this. Everybody look around the room a little bit. Look at the faces. Look at the people. You see, you see people in here with a lot of different backgrounds and people that dress all different ways. You see people different ages and different colors and different cultures and from different places. And you see that in here. There is nobody here that God loves more than he loves you. There is nobody here that God loves more than you. 
He loves you as much as every preacher. He loves you as much as every singer, every teacher. There might be somebody here that has been serving the Lord for 50 years, and you, this might be the first time you've ever come into a church, and you might not even be sure what you think about God. And he loves you just as much as he loves any other person in this room or in this world. God loves you. God loves you. This precious little Catholic friend of mine told me one time, and of course you know that our dear Catholic friends, they, uh, I can't speak for the individuals, but Catholicism as a whole, they don't believe in the born-again experience. They don't believe in getting saved, which is tragic because it's what the whole Bible is about. Uh, but this dear Catholic friend, she's come. we used to hold healing and miracle services where we pray for the sick, and she used to always come. And she told me, she said, Pastor DJ, she said, the Lord spoke to me about a particular thing that he wanted me to do. And she said, the Lord said to me, I love you so much, but I would love you so much more if you would... Wrong voice. If a voice shows up in your head, in your heart, in your ear pretending to be God and tells you that you will be loved more by anything you can do, that voice is lying to you, and it's not God. God cannot love you more because he already loves you completely. He already loves you perfectly. He already loves you wholly. And God will not love you any less. Love is not something God has. The Bible said God is love. God is love. Now, again, that doesn't make everything okay. That doesn't mean we can do whatever, any way we want with no consequences. It does not mean everybody's just okay and all right. Uh, It doesn't mean we're on the same page with God. It doesn't mean that. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Right now, we're talking about how God feels about you and how he values you and that he wants the best for you. And God wanting the best for you many times means us being corrected and changed. But the only reason God will correct you and say, hey, we're not cool right now is because he loves you so much. God loves you. You know, we we know that God hates sin, but do you know why God hates sin? Because it hurts you. Sin destroys humanity. Sin does not carry out God's plan in the way we're made and what we're made for. That's why God hates sin. That's why he calls us out of sin, because he wants the best for you. There's an incredible purpose for your life. There is an incredible mission and calling for you. But number one, God loves you. The second thing that we find in this verse, those that receive Jesus as Savior. Now, this verse doesn't expound completely on what that means. It's just referring to it because we have the whole of all this other scripture and all the teaching. Here's what it means in short. I come to God with godly sorrow, realizing I am a sinner, not a victim, 
Oh, God, I've got problems. I heard if I'd call on you, you'd save me. That's not the saved we're talking about. This is not saved from your problems because you're a victim. This is saved from punishment because we're the criminal. All right? Now, he does bless. He does keep. He does lead us through trouble, although we still go through trouble. But salvation is saved from the penalty of what I've done and who I am. I come to God as a, as a hopeless sinner because I have transgressed his law and I have offended his way. I come to God. God, I am, I'm, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a trespasser. God, I have worked against you. I've worked against your way. I have broken your law, your ordinances, your statutes, your commandments. God, I'm sorry. My life does not line up with your word. But I heard you love me anyway. I heard that in my sin, you loved me so much that you gave up your son and that he died on the cross in my place. God, I'm humbled that you would do that while I have been your enemy. I understand that Jesus shed his blood on the cross and that three days later he got up from the dead and he wants to live in me and change me. He wants to kill the old me, which I also want. And he wants to live in me and live through me and be brand new. Can I tell you that being a Christian People think they come to church so they can get better. I'm coming to church to learn how to be a better person. Oh, I wish we'd all be better people, but you're you're not here to be a better person. You're here because we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we need to be born all over again. We need a spiritual change. You can go to church your whole life, and still not go to heaven. You can behave well your whole life and miss heaven for all of eternity. This is not about behavior modification. This is not about you trying harder. This is about receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and allowing him to live in you and through you. This is not some made-up fairy tale. I'm talking about the God of the universe actually living in you and operating through your body, through your mind, through your mouth, through your brain, through your life. I'm talking about God living inside of you. Amen? So God loves you, but this number two, those that receive Jesus as Savior and Lord will live forever. You will live forever. You'll live forever. A friend of mine the other day posted this beautiful post about how years ago it was very customary for families to make a high priority of raising their families in church. And it said that one generation will do that. It said many times another generation, they don't make quite as much of, the parents don't make quite as much of a priority. So to the kids, it's even less of a priority. Pretty soon those kids are parents, which now don't care, and the kids are not introduced to the things of God. And then they become parents. And now you got a mess. 
And, and many even here end up being a product of that, right? One of the most heartbreaking things to me in the last 10 years, I get more and more calls from funeral homes. And they say, uh, Pastor Edwards, we have a family here that somebody passed away and nobody in their family has any connection to any church or any preacher, would you come and speak for this one? Now, you might not know this about me. I feel like it's a special calling God's given me. That's why they call me a lot of funeral homes in the area. I've asked them. I've told them. uh, I feel like I have a special call and a special word for families going through that time of tragedy that don't, that don't know Jesus. And so I've asked them, call me first. Please call me first. And so they, they do, and then hopefully I've got the, the date open. Years ago, even if somebody died that maybe they didn't go to church, they knew somebody. You called grandma's pastor. Even if they didn't go to church, they knew which church they belonged to. Come on. It's changed. It's changed in the very generation you live in that now there are people that don't even know somebody that goes to church. We lost it in less than 20 years. What about our kids? So my friend posts this post about that thing. And a young lady commented on his post. Listen real carefully to what she said. She was very kind. She was very, she was very respectful. But this is what she said. My friend's name is Matt. She said, Matt, she said, with all due respect, she said, what I think is happening, she said, I think that people are thinking more than ever for themselves She said, and I think we're in a generation that has realized that they can be happy and prosperous without religion. He said, we're not going to church to be happy and prosperous. She thought, she thought that we were saying that this is about happiness and prosperity. Who failed? Who failed? This is not about life happiness and prosperity. This is about... We are lost and undone without God or his son, but he reached down his hand for me. This is about average lifespan is 75 years. Eternity is a little longer. 
and I need Jesus no matter how long or how short that I'm here. I need Jesus with money or without money. This is about I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus shed his blood for me. That young lady doesn't know that the Bible says something very, very the opposite of her thought. The Bible says people do enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. You can be happy without Jesus and wrong. This is not about happy, unhappy. This is not about money, no money. This is about right and wrong. This is about lost and saved. I ought to preach a message called lost and found. <laughs> that mean God's lost and found. She didn't know. We are not offering one more way to be successful. We are talking about the truth that God created us and that God wants us, and that we're all going to die and leave this place, where are you going to spend forever? If she has found a way to be happy, I'm glad. I want her to be happy. But more than that, I want her to live forever and be saved. Those that receive Jesus as Savior and Lord will live forever. Will live forever. We'll live forever. Number three. Here's the other thing we learned from this verse. Those that do not accept Jesus as Savior. Those that are not born again. I'm not talking about those that improve their behavior. I'm not talking about those that try hard. I'm not talking about those with a good attitude. I'm not talking about those that pay the church off. Those that are not born again will perish. If you do not accept Jesus as Savior... If you do not place faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, I promise you, you are going to perish and you are in for a terrible surprise when you leave your body. That's a sobering thought. I want you to think about something today. People, and I mean Christians, good Bible-believing Christians. I'm not, I'm not talking about some wacko, far-out, whatever. I'm talking about good Bible-believing Christians have a lot of differing thoughts about hell, okay? You can, you can have conversations with people about hell, and there, there, there are people that, of course, you know, they say hell is a, a literal lake of literal fire where people are literally burned. 
forever. And, and they'll give you some Bible verses. And then there are people that will give you some other Bible verses. And they'll say, you know what? I believe that the fire is not like a literal burning fire, but I believe that there is such a separation, and I believe that the hell is the despair of being separated with God. And somebody else say, well, I believe that it's this, I believe it's that. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm not the type of guy to get into a fight about that kind of stuff. People have a lot of differing views within views in, in Christianity that are not salvation issues. You, under, you understand what I'm trying to say? You know, people get into fights about end times and rapture and this. I, I'm not that guy. Maybe it's because I'm an evangelist. That's my whole heart. I know people are lost. I know how to get saved. And that's what I'm going to talk about the whole time that I'm here on this planet. All right? So people have differing views about hell and how it is and what it is and this and that. But there is one thing that I can guarantee you that I believe we all agree on. If you do not turn to Jesus, you will be lost forever and eternally separated from God. And you can take that to the bank. Without Jesus, we are lost. And my friend, even before you leave this planet, even before you leave this planet, you're lost right now without Jesus and already living in death. You are already dead. You are dead. That's why the scripture said you, you, you were dead in your trespasses before you came to Jesus. Every human being is going to die one day. You are leaving this planet. You are leaving your body. You are leaving. If you do not know where you're going, if you do not know what's going to happen to you when you leave, that should bother you to say the least. Friend, we know. Statistics prove it. One out of one dies. Everybody's leaving. So you know that part. Do you think about your own death? Do you think about the fact you're not here forever? We should. We should. We should be well acquainted with the fact that we're not staying forever. We should think about the fact that we're going. And if you do not have the blessed assurance that the Apostle Paul talked about in the born-again experience, it should really bother us what's going to happen when we leave this body. 
because your corpse is going to be laid in the ground, but you won't be in there. You won't be there. One of my Jewish friends, I asked him, I said, what's going to happen to you when you die? He said, that'll be it. I suppose for his sake, I wish that were true. But he's wrong. But he's wrong. But if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus, if you are here today and you're not born again, you can change that today. You can know. You can be saved. It is a definitive moment. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a life choice. It's not a denomination. It's not a religion. It is a definitive event that happens faster than the speed of thought. It happens all at once. You place faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, and instantly he kills your old spirit, and instantly you are brand new. Instantly you are whole. You are redeemed. You are sanctified, holy, set apart, saved, forgiven, changed, cleansed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You can change it today. You can receive Jesus today. You can have come into this this church lost, and you can leave here saved and belonging to him and your name written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a moment that your name gets written in the book. There is a, it's not written one letter at a time. It's all at once. It's in there or it's not. You are saved or lost. If you don't know, it should bother you. And Christians, if you know people that don't know where they're going, that should bother you. It should bother you so much that nothing can stop you from telling them how to be saved from losing their soul. If it's not bothering you, something is wrong. If you claim to be a Christian and you're not burdened by the lost, something is wrong. If you are not concerned, if you say you believe, if you say you believe that you needed Jesus in order to go to heaven, but it doesn't bother you that other people don't know Jesus, something is wrong. There's a disconnect between what you say you believe and what you actually believe. Dwight L. Moody. We talked about him last week a little bit. The great, famous preacher. Listen to this. Dwight Moody in his life, before internet, before television, before on and on and on, no modern communication, the only way he couldn't record himself and send it out, the only way he could preach to people is to look them in the face. 
either one-on-one or to a crowd. But I mean they heard him live. That's the only way. And with that kind of preaching, he preached, shared the gospel with more human beings than any other human being in history up until the point he lived. Anybody here ever heard of a thing called Sunday school? You can think, thank D.L. Moody. He invented it. Invented Sunday school. Where we sit down and open the Bible and teach and teach lesson, lessons, especially focused on children. Before Dwight Moody got saved, he was a shoe salesman. Sold shoes. And he remained a shoe salesman after he got saved. He worked at a shoe store selling these shoes. But he noticed something. He wasn't selling as many shoes as he wanted to. He thought, there's got to be a way to sell more shoes. Not enough people coming in to buy shoes. He got an idea. He said, I know these people need shoes, but they're not coming where the shoes are being sold. He said, so I'll go to the people. So he loaded up his shoes, and he went to the busiest place he could think of, the train station, people who were traveling and coming and going and on their feet and would be using their shoes all the time. He went to where the people were. Chris, I think your heart's stirring like mine's stirring right now. He went to where he knew the people needed shoes that weren't thinking about their need for shoes. And after he sold all the shoes he could sell at the train station, he went to the streets and started finding individuals that needed shoes. And oh, did he sell shoes. That was the way his brain worked. At some point in his life, he got saved. He started going to a church and he asked the preacher, Can I preach here at the church? No. No, you can't. And so he stomped his feet and folded his arms and he left and said, I'll never assert. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He said, okay. Can I teach a class? No. You can't. You're not going to preach. You're not going to teach. You don't know anything. You just got said you don't know. No. He said, okay. He said, can I invite people to church? They said, yeah. Yeah, you can invite people to church. He said, okay, pastor. He said, can I have five pews? Those are mine. I want five pews. They're marked off for me. He said, okay. And Dwight Moody did what he did best. Instead of standing in the building and hoping the people would come to him, are you hearing me this morning? He said, I'll go out where the people are. 
He went from selling souls to winning them. He went out and he began to invite people. And he found the crustiest ones. He told that preacher, he said, I need you to give me brown sugar cubes. Okay. He gave him sugar cubes. Dwight Moody would fill his pockets with sugar cubes. He would go out on the streets and he would find people who were hungry. Would you like, oh, this is candy, you know. Would you like a sugar? Yeah. All right. And while you're eating it, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. You know, he filled his five pews. And then he filled them again, and he filled them again, and he needed more pews, and he began to fill that building and fill row after row after row, and he began to bring so many people, they ended up having to build him his own building where he pastored one of the greatest churches in history, the Moody Bible Church of Chicago, Illinois. When they built it in 1926, they had to build it with 3,400 seats. Can you imagine a mega church in 1920s? He said, I'll go get them. I'll go out and find them by any means necessary. I'll take sugar cubes. I'll do what? I'll go to the train station. I'll go to the streets. I'm glad he didn't stay inside the shoe store and wait for people to come to him. You have to go out where they are. We have to go get them. They're dying and they don't know it. They're on their way to a hell and they don't know it. They are lost and they don't know it. They're going to be separated from God forever and they don't know it. Today, are you saved? Are you saved? The question is not do you attend church? I can see you sitting here. The question is, have you accepted Jesus Christ to live inside of you? John 4 and 35. Next question is, are you winning souls? Are you winning souls, Christian? Ask yourself. Don't think about the person next to you. Ask yourself, am I winning souls? John 4 and 35, Jesus. Don't say there are yet four months and then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look. Look on the fields. They are white already with harvest. Season of harvest. It's a season of harvest. I heard a preacher recently talking about the great missionary to India, Jim Anderson. Jim Anderson had a lot to overcome. Jim Anderson had been in a terrible accident. They had to amputate his arm. That would be a lot to get used to. Came from the Midwest, always around farming. 
He had lost one of his arms. He had felt God calling him as a missionary to India. He had a lot to overcome, but he did go to India, and he did do a tremendous job and a tremendous work there. But he had come home on furlough to raise money, to go back, be a missionary in India. One Sunday morning, he was driving along, and he noticed how beautiful the sky was, the clouds in the sky, and he was filled with awe at the wonder and the glory of God. And then he noticed a little smoke over the hill. He thought, what is that? And he went around, as he was driving around, he saw a large combine going through, harvesting grain. As he went on around, he saw a second combine, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. And there were huge combines lined up on this early Sunday morning and going through, I don't know how many, lots of them, going through and, and plow, uh, harvesting this crop. He thought, what are these guys doing? What's happening? So he got up and he parked by the road and a combine coming by. And he flagged the farmer and the farmer pulled up. He said, yes, young man. He said, what's going on? He said, he said, I, I think most of you would normally be in, like, you'd be gone at church on a Sunday morning or anything. He said, what's happening? He said, yeah. He said, normally I'd be at church right now. He said, but we got a report. He said that there is a terrible storm coming fast. He said, they're reporting golf ball-sized hail And he said, here in a short time, he said, we stand to lose all of our harvest. He said, so early this morning, all of us farmers, he said, we met down at the International Harvester Store. And we decided that we would all work together to harvest everything we could right now before the storm destroys it and all is lost. There are many things in our world in a mess right now. A lot of us have been reacting in anger and trying to tell everybody why we're right and they're wrong. Not really winning any of them. Just making our point. There's a lot of chaos and everybody's confused in our country and in our world. People are confused about all kinds of things. Can I tell you, we've started to enter a storm. And friends, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Church, 
I've shouted it for over a month now. Now I'm going to say it real quiet sitting on this stool and pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would get all over it and something would just break and that we would hear what I've been saying. It is a special season of harvest. And we are running out of time. We can't win them when they're dead. That's, that's, it's over then. And there are people that get beyond the point of being reached even before they die when they give their mind over to an abased mind. Romans says that they so rejected God in their conscience and knowledge that he turned them over to a reprobate mind to do that which is unseemly with their bodies. We don't have time to not win the lost. There is such a storm moving in, and we are already in it. But can I tell you, there's golf ball-sized hail on the way. While the confusion of the world, while their father, the devil, is just beating the snot out of them and raking them over the coals and they don't even know it, you get mad at how they dress. You get mad at how they act. You get mad at who they're with. You get mad at, you, you get mad at all this stuff and never stopping to love people enough to see the reason and what's going on in their heart and what they're trying to fill. And instead, we'd rather just make our point while Jesus just went where they were and loved them. Jesus never treated sinners the way we treat sinners. Jesus never treated the world the way we treat the world. You say, I saw him act that way. Yeah, to religious people. That's how he acted to religious people who had their noses too far in the air to see a lost, hurting, dying world. Well, I don't want to be religious. I want to be like Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.